to a better world. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today, we are going to have a very special show in honor of Vesak, the uh, festival at this time of the year. We have invited back for the third time Buddha Maitreya, the Christ. It's very interesting to just say those words, and uh, even more interesting to speak with Buddha Maitreya himself. In earlier interviews over the last couple of uh, years, we've gone into some detail about uh, his background and his discovery of his own essence, his own selfhood, his own Buddha nature, actually, and how he recognized it both inside himself as well as how he was recognized externally by the Tibetan lineages, the monks, the traditions that the Tibetan Buddhist tradition has had for centuries, methods by which they identify their next leaders, their next incarnations of different lineages, as well as, of course, the avatar himself, the Buddha. So when all of that came together, we have what is an American-born Buddha. And uh, it is with great, great pleasure and honor and privilege that uh, I am interviewing him again this evening for the benefit of literally all sentient beings, in fact, all those who I would say are fortunate enough to know of him and who are able to get hold of these words in this interview, as well as his teachings, his Dharma teachings, which he's been spreading throughout the planet for the past many years. So just to say, it's been over 20 years since Buddha Maitreya has supported the practical daily needs of monks and nuns in Tibet, India, and Nepal. As you would imagine, Buddha Maitreya is very involved in being of service to his own original lineages, as well as to all beings, all beings on the planet itself, helping to restore sacred sites, rebuilding monasteries in Tibet, and providing new prayer halls in India. These are some of the efforts that he and his community have offered to uh, the people in Asia who are much less materially uh, um, fit as we are here in the West. He has offered free clinics and treatment centers in Nepal to provide basic medicinal services to those most in need. Due to the earthquake in Nepal, Buddha Maitreya's organization raised money to help in the rebuilding for thousands of people who had been displaced. In 2006, together with his wife, Mandarava Tara, he founded the Buddha Maitreya Shambhala Vajradhara Monastery in Lake County, California, a planetary healing and wellness center where I have yet to visit, but I believe it is very much in my future. So without further ado, I'd like to bring Buddha Maitreya on with me right now so we can begin to uh, look at some of the most, um, you could say, germane subjects 
for we humans at this point in time, seeing as, well, just a quick glance at the newspapers or even at the planet herself, we see is in dire need of a lot of consciousness, a lot of love, and a lot of healing. So, Buddha Maitreya, welcome again to A Better World. Such a great pleasure to have you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Since we spoke last, you have been very busy doing uh, a lot of work, and I understand you've recently just opened up yet another Dharma Center in uh, in Maui. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we have a, a residency now that we live at in Maui, and we have a Dharma Center there that we just established. That's excellent. That's excellent. Now, what brought you to Maui? I mean, I understand the beauty, uh, and I uh, understand the good vibes there. Uh, were there other reasons that Maui became a point of particular interest to you? Uh, in my um, very early 30s, I began going through enormous processes with masters around the planet and uh, having a relationship with my externalization became very, very, very powerful. And during that time, by the time I was 33, um, it was a real struggle to um, uh, to continue working in the process, the level of the process that I was at, and be in a good place to do so. So I just happened by the blessings of God, uh, was given the opportunity to go to Maui and take a refuge at a place called the Foundation of Revelation in Kihei, which was established for the reincarnation of Maitreya, who is myself, born in uh, Telemuc, Oregon in 1951. Their guru, Sir Jimbe Roy, um, had, who's from India, as, uh, a relationship to Shiva, um, had for well, a Maitreya, long time... Maitreya, I'm so sorry... I just have to interrupt you for a moment because the line you're speaking on sounds very uh, staticky. Um, I don't know if you hear it, but it's coming across um, where we're missing almost every other word from you. Would you mind calling back into that same same number and let's see if we have um, some better luck? Sure, no problem. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much. All right. His... Uh, we we really don't want to miss or have in any way obscured what Buddha Maitreya wants to share with us all. And uh, the sound, the audio quality was not um, matching the uh, content of what he's bringing forward. So I've asked him to take a moment and to call back. So he'll be with us in a moment. As I was saying, there happens to be a very, very interesting event that is coming up uh, in, when is it? In, I believe, this coming October in India. I'm sure we'll speak about it here. Uh, world historic event in India, the reappearance of the Lord Christ a world historic event from 2016, an event is globally uh, unprecedented, such as this, the lifetime of Krishna, Shakyamuni, Buddha, or during the lifetime of Jesus the Christ over 2,000 years ago, are the primary avataric events within the mind of humanity. Well, what's happening in India under the largest 
pyramid in the world will be taking place yet another event of similar sort. So uh, just uh, stay tuned. Okay, let's see if he has called in again here. Hello? Buddha Maitreya. Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, that sounds so much better. Thank you. All right, excellent. Sorry for the inconvenience, but it's actually out of deep respect that we want our audience to be able to capture every word and nuance and uh, not be obscured by the uh, audio signal. So this is much better. Thank you. Great, great. So you asked me so the question about why Maui, why have we set up a uh, residence yes. in Dharma Center there. And uh, the reason exactly. for that is because in my early 30s, I was going to, uh, uh, as you could possibly imagine, which I'm, I find it unlikely, is how much I was going through in my process of externalization at 30 years old. And uh, for about three or four years, that became so extreme in relationship to many masters of wisdom and uh, the ongoing process of the planet, including Tibetans and, and uh, many, many um, hierarchical processes that were happening on the planet, I became extremely connected in and uh, began a process of trying to change and heal and bring about a benefit to the world that could uh, uh, make a transition for this time. Sure. And so around that time, uh, it was a, quite a big struggle. Uh, I was around 33, and I was given the opportunity by God to uh, go to Maui and uh, take refuge, a retreat, at a place called the Foundation of Revelation in Kihei. And can you still hear me? Oh, yes, perfectly. Okay, great. And so in a place uh, called Kihei in Maui, and um, at that place, uh, I find out when I get there, it is ran and established by a guru called Siro Zimbe Roy out of India, who uh, for a long time lived and uh, was part of the uh, Babaji cave of Shiva and mm-hmm. was very much a disciple of Babaji and was aware and uh, was in constant uh, um, uh, awakening to the process of the incarnation of Babaji as uh, being incarnated in America and uh, as who's going to externalize as Maitreya. So he began a process of going to America and preparing the way of letting people know that Maitreya was born in Telemuc, Oregon on July 19, 1951. So he took his group and everybody there to that location and opened a restaurant for five years and uh, lived in the location of my birth and then moved to Maui in order to establish their own home for the possibility for when I was, when it was time for me to have my externalization that I would be able to come into his relationship and find a way through it and be able to balance out much better. And the place is called the Foundation of Revelation. So I go there and Everything is amazing. They have a painting of me on the wall of exactly the person who I was when I walked in the door. The clothes I was wearing, the hair, everything <laughs> was me, you know, and which is very Gosh. trippy. And the people yeah. were very completely amazed because I'm in their book as the Buddha Maitreya, and here I'm <laughs> appearing at the house, 
and I'm sent there by their guru, Zero Jimbe Roy. And so that's a big event. That's helping me quite a bit to establish myself and feel more comfortable in relationship to uh, the gurus in the world. And so that then connected me with the incarnation of Babaji out of India, who was a young man, uh, same age as I was at the time. And Mm -hmm. he um, began sending me cases of oranges every week as an offering, which was (laughs) a a really good blessing for me and helped me uh, ground out and and get more grounded. And then uh, four months after that, I was offered by the Tibetans to come to Oahu and be the uh, reincarnation of Tuku Buddha Maitreya and um, the Maitreya Dharma Center. So this all happens pretty quickly, all within about a six-month period, but it's mm-hmm. something I needed pretty badly uh, to, to ground out. And, so, and when you say you needed it very, very yeah. badly, was that because yeah. you were feeling the called a super intelligent energy, just as one way of putting it, the sort of the immensity of the chi flowing through you as, with the identity of Buddha Maitreya and the Christ? No, that not that at all. I mean, that has been going on it? with me since I was born. Um, okay. the, the intensity was the um, externalization process of the hierarchy at, at a time in which they wanted to witness me and have me come forth. And okay. I was sure that that's exactly uh, what was supposed to be going on. You know, I was waiting for signs and right relationship and everything to uh, come about, and it began happening very strong when I turned 30 uh, with uh, um, Muktananda and a bunch of other uh, gurus who were incarnated at the time uh, began uh, calling me to their place and recognizing me as Buddha Maitreya and the incarnation, reincarnation of Krishna. You know, so it was very big events just within a short period of time. But by the time I got to Maui, uh, it was a real um, grounding accumulation of of uh, both the Babaji past reincarnation and my previous incarnations as Padmasambhava and Sankapa and to the Tibetan lineage, which was really helpful for me because I had uh, many of those uh, um, impressions come through me throughout my life, but I haven't yeah. been able to ground them out. They came to my house when I was nine in order to further me, but that was all kind of like uh, uh, turned away by my parents. So that never yeah. really took place until I turned 33. I understand. Of course, so you were sort of making up for that time interval in between uh, yeah. to start in on this process. Right. Yeah. And when you say the externalization, what uh, you mean is uh, basically recognition by the outside world of who you are. Yeah, there are certain masters like Serge Embry Roy and many, many others that are very, very aware of me and the type of teachings that I'd be giving, even what I look like. Like when they came to find me when I was nine, uh, the Panchen Lama was, knew my name, knew my location and my street address. You know, yeah. so uh, these particular high initiates are very much there to support me and are my yeah. students and are clear in the process of my externalization, but it's, it was their matter of timing as to when they externalize in order to further that. 
Yes, I understand. And, yep. you know, what's interesting, since we're talking on this level, and, of course, we'll move on into the the actual work of Buddha Maitreya and the Shambhala Healing Center and all that's happening worldwide with you and your work and what the world itself needs. But uh, it should be mentioned that, and I'm asking you, really, that the film, The Little Buddha, is very much about your life. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, it's about my life, but I gave the teaching in London in order to help the process of the Karmapa, who um, incarnated as two boys and a girl, that present incarnation of the Karmapa. And yet the Dalai Lama um, was to deny one of the boys and never even give recognition to the girl, let anybody know publicly that she existed. You know, which is still happening till today. You know, and mm-hmm. so uh, it was. Um, I knew all of this. I knew of their problem. I knew that they would go through this process. I knew that they would be found, and but yet they would probably be not externalized in any way. So I gave that teaching in London quite a few times, and people who wrote the movie actually put the movie together came to me and asked me if they could write a movie, do a movie on it, and I said mm-hmm. yes. Uh, they wanted to include me in it. And uh, yeah. I, I explained to them that, you know, my my incarnation and Tukri relationship is different. You know, uh, the Lama Dorje relationship is different. You could use that, but, you know, our main focus is to get out the three Tukri relationship and show that there are manifestations in the hierarchy that can happen as aspects and as okay. more than one person being an individual. Oh, I see. So you're saying that even though the movie was tra- – I mean, when the monks come to – I guess it was the Pacific Northwest uh, – to bring you back to, at that point, Nepal, uh, that was you. But you're yeah, saying that, that, that the manifestation of, of the Buddha actually rests in a few different – individual human beings like yes. you were talking about the karmapa is that yeah. it okay very interesting see of course this defies normal uh thinking about souls and who we are as quote unquote individuals because this is not the way the western mind thinks that one soul may be in a sense spread out among a few different physical beings Obviously, you know, that's not our um, Western perspective. So not at all. I appreciate, right? So I appreciate your fleshing this out, no pun intended, you know, so people can understand a, a broader perspective of the way the energetic cosmic hierarchy operates. It's not. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, you the can find the same, um, exact same teaching from the Karmapa. Uh, from books of his own that he wrote that uh, expresses the relationship of him having not just three but five manifestations of the same person. It's the same thing with many other um, incarnated uh, beings who are reached at least the fourth initiation. Uh, Many of their manifestations are in uh, aspects and manifest as many, usually five is the average number of their aspects. Yes, I understand. That's very interesting. Is there a particular significance to five in that regard? 
there may not, it's an interesting process because the the uh, relationship of Buddha is a relationship of where elemental uh, energy on the planet is imbalanced, and the Buddha is to bring about balance. So it's the, there are five elemental energies that are imbalanced within humanity that humanity uh, uses in order to manifest their glamours, to manifest all their hardship in life. And so those same five energies are turned into devic energies, elemental devic energies, that are a manifestation of the higher Buddha nature that are uh, qualities that are brought about in those attributes for their activities. So every single incarnation in those activities are there to counteract those five elemental influences. You see those in the movie Little Buddha. You'll see five elemental manifestations uh, there with Mara as a, a process in order to delude and create fear mm-hmm. inside of Buddha. Yes, and what are those elemental energies, those five? We have seven rays, seven chakras inside of our being, but if we lose our love and we lose our will, uh, we lose everything. So humanity lives off uh, the process of what's left over, is the process where Uh, mainly the solar plex and all the other energies, the other five elemental energies of the rays, are the basic what makes up all of we know in this world. It's not the divine uh, aspects, the wholeness that comes with uh, having the will of God and the love of God. So with that, you get the Holy Spirit, and out of that, every single ray turns into an externalization and an expression of God's will and God's love. I see. I yeah. see. Beautiful. Uh, it's it's such a, a pleasure and an honor to speak with you again, Buddha Maitreya. And I'm looking at the kind of the world view right now as I'm listening to you and seeing what has changed in the last year or so, which is that there's been immense. Uh, environmental disruption. There have been uh, so many earthquakes that have taken place and other planetary destruction uh, where the number of environmental refugees has increased tremendously throughout the Middle East due to, uh, due to the dryness, due to desertification, uh, the lack of water, uh, farmers not being able to simply grow their crops, uh, and other places where sea levels are rising, you know, it's virtually biblical, quite honestly, what it is that's going on. And I'm just wondering what you see and what you think are the best uh, types of um, actions that humans can take at this point, overlooking the entire seeing, the entire larger environmental, ecologically destructive scenario. Yeah, I think the main thing inside of humanity is the fact that there's a purging process going on due to too much ignorance for a long period of time. And that that ignorance creates very strong ignorant activity that, that has really bad karma that's involved with it, you know, actions and circumstances and things that become 
materially bound as a belief yeah. system, yeah, systems that that uh, keep us from moving forward, you know, state of inertia. Yeah, so we have a lot of that in our previous incarnations, a lot of that in our history and humanity. And but at the same time, we have an extremely divine, powerful uh, decree of energy taking place on the planet, and it's manifesting uh, shifts in the outcome of the mind and of the hearts of humanity and the actions of humanity to be much more along the line of the soul, yeah, more symptomatic in relationship to the soul. There are answers that are coming that are helping us with uh, stepping out of fossil fuel, and we're, uh, that is a big problem. And uh, learning that fracking is a very bad idea, learning that it was bad in a particular area, but now we're finding it's not a good idea to do it anywhere. Yeah, you know, so a lot of things that go seemingly bad, you know, are things that are to justify not going any further. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Yeah, because a lot of uh, everything that we're all learning, we're all learning from previous, but we're all in a process of evolution. And we're yes. at a very great, wonderful time in which evolution is going to show um, our compassion and our, uh, our ability to foster collectively as a group, where normally we would have uh, a lack of ability to uh, reveal or see and cooperate. But now we're being moved by such a strong energy inside of humanity that we're actually collectively shifting as to how we're going to deal with these very large situations like mass forests being wiped out you know, in many parts of yeah. the world. Yeah, uh, and yes. uh, and and by having an actual uh, compassion aspect coming into it, into the world, in those locations and around the world, we start actually showing that information, and we react to that information, and we do something about it because we're actually yes. not veiling it as much as we used to. Does that make so sense? So you're in a, yes. Uh, what I'm hearing you saying is that you know there is let's just say, a larger, perhaps even somewhat cosmic, turn of the wheel that we're entering a new cycle for humanity in which uh, and through which consciousness is shifting and is increasing to such an extent that our usual unconsciousness, our tendencies toward violence toward each other, our tendencies toward uh, the egotistical and the narcissistic, that which creates negative karma, uh, is beginning, beginning to dissolve in uh, exchange for our being al alive and in tune with our higher selves. You could say our Buddha nature, of course. Yeah, there, Would that be an there, accurate way of restating your point? Yes, in a way, and, then, and there could be a situation in which um, in the world there could be a, a false hierarchy, a, a false um, leadership in relationship to either spirituality or materiality. And it's a mm -hmm. lesser. It's not, a, not, not really truly the higher place that we're all searching for. Yeah? Yes. And that, that process that, that uh, like right now, there is uh, India is – 
uh, has been since 1980s, late 80s, had been involved with me in the overshadowing process of them meditating in a pyramid, knowing that it's Buddha Maitreya meditation, and that they they gather large masses of people to do this and build very, very large pyramids to do this. And they've done that. They've even created a valley called Pyramid Valley. You know, that yes, the thousands of people meditate in pyramid for that for that reason. And now they've invited me to come as the Buddha Maitreya to actually inaugurate the blessing of uh, connecting together the teaching of what's been moved to them to do this to this point and actually now receive teaching that can help increase this tenfold than what's going yeah. on right now. You know, an enormous amount of change uh, can happen because there's, there is a, um, a process, like in Tibetan Buddhism, there's a process where a large number of people know of the incarnation of Buddha Maitreya. Yeah, I'm sitting on altars, yeah. I've been enthroned all over the place, but yet at the same time there is a group within Tibetan Buddhism that doesn't want anybody to know it. Yeah, So mm -hmm. it, it's that process that uh, veils the energetic ability for uh, the hierarchy, the you know, higher initiates, to externalize because of the large number of lesser initiates that are um, influencing the process of imperil. You know, they're, they're bringing about an energy that uh, we all think should be coming very positive from them. But in reality, yeah. there could be a very negative uh, influence that's affecting all of our environment, all of our humanity, uh, pushing us into our, our weirdest possible behavior you can imagine. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Yes, and that's happening, does. I believe, through lower psychic envelope and uh, astral field. Yes. That, yes. Uh, that people have taken false prophets and false teachers for so many incarnations, life after life, then led through dictators to become reincarnate spiritual supposed masters. Yeah, and yeah. still people follow the same person, but they just disguise themselves. Yeah, and that's yeah. been our history throughout time. So we have a very strong psychic veil that is affecting us very negatively. And my job is to release that veil, hit yeah. them where it hurts, go directly <laughs> into the relationship of the hierarchy and externalize. Yeah. And that's what's yeah. happening this next year, next couple of years. Uh, it'll be quite a widespread externalization. Where up to now, uh, it's been a very slow process of, of uh, manifesting the tools and everything. Well, you bring something up interesting. I mean, just in contemplating, and I was speaking with uh, Lama Daniel about this a little earlier, that simply contemplating the presence of Buddha on earth or the Christ on earth is in itself a powerhouse of energy that it almost cracks through our ordinary neurophysiological arrangements um, and belief systems. It's like seeing, you know, God in the Sinai, for instance, in the Old Testament. You know, there's this powerful ray of light and of love that just shifts you out of your ordinary self and identity and opens one up to a more powerful 
energy field than you can really even speak of. So to me, when I've been thinking about you know, spending time with you, this has been some of what my own personal experience has been. It's very interesting, you know. So um, I, I just wanted to kind of bring that forth. And I would also say that whatever it is that may be going on with some uh, historical karma being passed on through lineages that is possibly in illusion or delusional, that same thing happens across the planet where there is a veil, not in any particular, it may show up in particular institutions, but it's also happening with the human life at large. And it's really that population, it seems to me, that you are really addressing the larger, the larger body of humanity that needs to shift. Uh, having nothing to do with, uh, it includes, but is in no way limited to the Tibetan Buddhist traditions in India. No, not at all, because everybody lives in this psychic envelope of previous lives of having been oppressed by, uh, you know, landlords or kings or queens or a dictator or, you know, someone like Hitler or Caesar. You know, life after life after life, it has always been a subservient type of situation and they we keep reincarnating and the lunar lords the one who play out those roles continue incarnating but take different roles yeah and it just see it takes the manifestation of that history so it literally reach every single living human being yeah if we facilitate the healing of the world by healing the delusionary component that comes from the astral psychic force of this small group yeah it affects Mm -hmm. the major majority of all of humanity in relationship of having a strong six-ray devotional uh influence by that small group yes 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 i i I understand um and i i would like to go back to kind of the larger planetary picture for a moment right now which is to say that we have a situation that has been posited in this way buddha maitreya by many that we are looking at either the uh the sixth epoch which would be you know signaling the presence of of Shambhala um, and all of the different archetypal imagery that that brings forward, a heaven on earth, if you will, and or if humanity does not wake up sufficiently to see the unconsciousness and the reptilian kind of behavior of aggression and violence that continues to be perpetuated generation after generation, we're going to be facing what is also called the sixth extinction. And there are many hallmarks of that extinction that is on our planet. It is said that in the next 25 years, if we do not stop the destruction of our planet with Uh, like you mentioned before, fossil fuels, and all the other numerous ways that we are wreaking havoc on the ecosystem, 50% of all living species 
will be in about 25 or so years extinct. That's how serious, and it might even include ourselves. So I'm asking you about your work as a planetary healer of the highest sort and how this kind of thinking may be related to your work. Yeah, it's all based on the relationship to the soul. Everybody has uh, pain and suffering, and it allows them to take a path, an avenue every day. Every direction, every circumstance is there because of a karmic connection that has to do with their, their lower nature not being able to fulfill its soul. Yeah? But my thing is mm-hmm. to increase the amount of monadic presence that comes from a god and externalize that energy into the planet in such a way that it actually begins a blessing, an awakening in dreams, in visions, uh-huh. in uh, understanding, and in a way in which people incorporate, you know, uh, a healing within their own nature, you know, that happens so without them asking for it, without anybody going, oh, I got to join this or I got to go do that or go practice this or that. But actually, the blessing is coming from a, a system of a very strong impression collectively by the hierarchy impressing within humanity as a group that knows what they're doing, led by the Christ, and influences the awakening and healing of the planet. It's never happened before. Yeah, It hasn't happened six weeks ago. It didn't happen up to today, and it's just now in fruition of taking place. All the different avenues of circumstances have all started coming together. So uh, even though the plan that we see if things continue as they're going is not looking good, 50 years from now looks horrible, 20 years from now devastating, yeah? But we don't know what miracles will bring. We don't know what new avenues of research and understanding and awakening will take place in the next 10 years that will offset that process. Yes. Yeah? Yeah. You know, so it's really, for my side of the thing, is really to invoke and evoke the process of the awakening of the soul and bring about yes. a strong collective consciousness that brings about visions and awakening that is beyond our lower subconscious and into our higher conscious so that we actually take directions when we wake up in the morning that are along the pathway of our dharma, along the pathway of us working this out so that we have a future in our future incarnations and we're led by that influence of doing all the right things it takes to get us there. I understand. Beautifully put. Let's let everyone know you are listening to A Better World with Mitchell J. Rabin. We are on every Wednesday at 6 p.m. New York time. And we are also on A Better World television in New York City in the Big Apple every Monday at 7 p.m., though that time might be shifting sometime soon. And you can receive our free newsletter at www.abetterworld.com. TV. That's abetterworld.tv. We list the guests that we will be having on every single week. We uh, would love to have you as part of our A Better World family. As you can tell, our interest is very much along the vision 
of Buddha Maitreya in creating a better world, first taking personal responsibility, and that by itself leads to collective responsibility. And as we say in the Buddhist uh, psychological perspective, right action, right livelihood. So <laughs> it feels very funny quoting you in your Shakyamuni mm. um, incarnation just now but indeed i guess that's part of the fun of having buddha on the earth right now so please uh indulge me if you would so uh i what i hear you saying with maitreya is that uh through our uh taking personal responsibility which will occur more powerfully through the increase of visions, of an awakening of our own soul inside our heart and mind, we will have, we will be guided to be making the right choices and decisions in regard to both our planet, which is our home, as well as to each other. Is that a correct understanding? Yes, absolutely. Um, bringing about, you know, uh, kind of a planetary soul therapy and yes. influencing what takes place with the individual who goes into a pyramid and does the soul therapy that I do and comes out very transformed. Their family is transformed, all of that. But that's on an individual, personal level, but yet in a small group level. But we're now in process of doing this on a very big, large planetary level and working out of India and other areas, you know. So that's coming together with tens of thousands of people meditating and helping to bring this about, focusing on Buddha Maitreya to bring about the blessings that I could do on a more larger collective level, which is inside and around and in the planet, bringing about an energy field in the planet. That's different than what it is right now. Right now there's a lot of imperil in the planet that's brought there by the uh, bodies of humanity suffering. Yeah, yes. so that forgiveness, yes. that, that energy is what has to be absorbed and transformed. So that's what I'm uh, willing and, and capable of doing in, in bringing this about and having this in a larger collective way. It will help me support the process of being able to give forgiveness to all of humanity on this planet, no matter what their circumstances, and bring them into an, another level of consciousness. Yes, I understand. And is it so that when people are aware of who you are incarnationally, that your effectiveness is thereby also increased? Or does it, it not matter? Uh, yeah, it does. It matters a lot. You know, the. When people come across the etheric weaver, you know, they think, oh, wow, what a pretty crystal, you know, nice nice magnets and everything on there, you know, ooh, look yes. at what it does and how powerful it is, you know. But really that's me. It's my energy. Yeah. So they're coming across me. Their, their energy of relationship is coming together. So that's what builds our ability to heal is through right relationship. And a lot of people don't really have a relationship to me. So I'm helping to support and bring about circumstances that brings people in contact with me and have a relationship and feel comfortable in doing so. Yes, I understand. Could you explain to our audience about uh, two words that you use that or phrases uh, that I'd love for you to expand on? 
the first one you used earlier was monadic, which you know some people in esoteric studies may be familiar with, but most people wouldn't be. And the other one was your reference to one of your Shambhala tools called the etheric weaver. Could you bring us up to speed with that, with those? Yeah, the um, the etheric field is a field that resonates with God's divinity. Yeah, everything we can look at is geometrically proportioned in such a perfect divine way, harmonically, and same with color and sound and all the influences in our in our planet is uh, based on this particular foundation that allows the energy of what we know as the physical reality, it's really truly the manifestation of God's mind. Yeah. So mm-hmm. in its divinity, in its energetic field, it's called the etheric field, yeah? the yes. field in which God expresses. Yeah. So in the so etheric then, field, exactly. every single – what is that? No, no. I'm I, so the etheric weaver then is yep. a crystal tool that you've uh, created that helps to bring that higher level energy into manifestation. Yep, the monad. The influence of my incarnation is monadic. My, my incarnation is monadic, soulful, and ashramic. Yeah, that's my being. That's how I live. Yeah, and so that expresses. Through me, it expresses monad, soul, it expresses into the ashram, which is all the physical world, everything of this world, every, every living thing of life is the ashram. Yeah, so the etheric weaver literally is a connection between heaven and earth. It's the relationship that allows humanity to tap into and allow my energy to connect between heaven and earth and allow the heavenly blessing to move through without all the veils, without all the astral plane and all the physical problems, cuts right mm-hmm. straight through it and blesses and releases the impurity. Very interesting. I heard and saw some of the testimonials, Buddha Maitreya, of some of your students, um, one of whom was schizophrenic and started using the etheric weaver and uh, was holding them and a few other of the tools that you have in his hands. And apparently he is no longer taking the prescription medications and his feels that he has really balanced out his being. Could you comment on that? Yeah, I think that's um, Daniel, the one you're talking about, young man who used to be in a gang. And uh, heavy on drugs, uh, all around people dying and being murdered, and he was part of it. And you yes. know, it, he, he was so uh, possessed by all that was going on in his life, uh, it, it came back on him. Every day he would have these uh, obsessive uh, processes of talking to the dead, and they'd tell him to kill himself, kill his family. You know, a psychologist would, would think he was schizophrenic. You know, but these are real things happening to him. He was totally yes. gone, and he had to take all these drugs and everything to try and uh, hold him back, to do whatever he could to control it. And then mm-hmm. someone came across him and helped him out by uh, having him sit on a mat, hold two vajras, and listen to my music. And within just a few days, um, all of his drugs started purging out of his body 
just out of his mouth. Uh, he'd smell it. It'd be really bad. He couldn't take him anymore. He stopped smoking. Uh, within a few weeks or a month, he was completely off drugs that he was on, and uh, he didn't hear the voices anymore. He was in paranoid. Uh, all of that changed dramatically, and he just is happy. That is so beautiful. That's pretty amazing. So beautiful. Truly, truly. And in another of your teachings, I heard you so beautifully state that uh, when one, let's say, has a pain in one's foot and you use one of your Shambhala healing tools, it's not that you are treating, quote unquote, the foot. You're treating an entire, you're working, let's say, in balancing an entire energy field of which the foot is part. And so, therefore, anything that's out of balance, whether it's the foot or the hand or the neck or the, you know, the eyebrow, is going to be brought into harmony and into balance. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it, it basically just is a uh, a tool to harmonize the etheric field. So, whatever degree the problem is, nobody really knows. But the etheric weaver and my work has a tendency to go in and uh, allow the forgiveness, the energy behind forgiveness, to come into play, and the person begins releasing uh, whatever it is that's blocking uh, them and causing them their process. It begins releasing that, and uh, it, it just becomes very natural for it to happen. Beautiful. You know, it's interesting that you use the word forgiveness. It's not a word that I'm familiar with in the Buddhist context, but, of course, most of us are familiar with it more in the Christian context. And it appears, you know, you're such an interesting combination, if you don't mind my saying, of the the Buddhist of course, being Buddha Maitreya. And so you embody that entire lineage. And on the other hand, the Christ, which is the, the, the Western equivalent, if you will. And it seems that you are more identified with the Buddhist aspect more than the Christian. Is that so? Or how, how would you uh, talk personally, about Personally, I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I'm <laughs> extremely identified with the Jesus aspect. I mean, everything... All my teachings are teachings that uh, directly flow from Jesus as it was uh, before uh, I was kind of brought into persecution and then stopped. But uh, no one really knows me that well. And, you know, and the person that I am and what it is I teach and everything is the exact externalization as Jesus. Yeah, so, but my process in, in my process of externalization is many reincarnations. So uh, due to the fact of Padmasambhava and so many incarnations along the line of Buddhism, uh, I am most recognized as the incarnation of a Buddha than I am Jesus because there's only one known uh, incarnation of Jesus. Yes, I understand. Interesting. So yet forgiveness seems that it is the kind of the foundational intelligence, virtue, energy behind a lot of what it is your work is. Could you talk about that, expand on the role of forgiveness in healing and in helping humanity reach its next, uh, if you will, operating level? 
Yeah, pretty much everything in uh, people have a tendency to uh, be envious or jealous or uh, have these different types of uh, glamours come up. And the main reason for it is because of um, a point of suffering that is going on in the person that uh, keeps them believing that they've done a wrong, that they, that, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, who can't imagine going through a life and not have all these things that you, you have as an accumulated thought of which you've done not that, but maybe done something differently, you know. And all of those conscious energies, those influences inside of a person, have a great deal to do with uh, their lack of um, healing in, in the process of love that, that resonates through their body. Because when love resonates through the body, the first thing it does is that it brings understanding inside the person, bringing about an understanding of self-forgiveness, yeah? that they cannot hold themselves in judgment. They can't hold themselves in, in uh, the imperil, the same criticism or negativity that they mm-hmm. would, simply because so much love uh, radiates into the person. It just immediately gives them, like if you were to go to heaven, uh, when you enter heaven, the same thing happens. You immediately are uh, released from uh, all the different pains and suffering that you might have and the, all the yeah. things you may carry with you. It immediately is transferred into feelings of love, and that feeling yeah. of love completely releases all the weight of your suffering and pain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I got it. So it, it's sort of like the... The contraction we refer to as our physical body of spirit, if you want to think of it that way, uh, that when it is in the presence of its own essence, which I'm gathering from your view and mine, is love, then those aches and pains of the contracted body utterly disappear. They don't just diminish. They utterly become released in the presence of the love. Yeah, if it could be received. The difficulty is our interpretation of what love is, you know, because a lot of times we, um, we haven't come across the vibration of really true, powerful love. Uh, the, uh-huh. Christ, the influence of Christ is, is more the influence of a level of consciousness and a level of ability to respond in, in ways that are much more along the line of loving response. Naturally, mm-hmm. yeah. So Christ, ah. the the response of Christ to things is not judgmental or critical or or very negative, you know. So that's what builds up in the body of Christ. So when if anybody attunes to Christ, aligns to Jesus or Buddha, then, and they actually can come into that energy of real reality, then they have the auspicious opportunity of receiving the transmission that comes from that. Yeah, uh-huh. and that's where that love comes in because it's a it's a sharing of the merit, it's a sharing of the accumulation of the Christ Himself and all His lives and and everything that makes Him who He is. Yes, and so really, the same incarnation is the Buddha and the Christ. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. No separation whatsoever. 
Mm-hmm. It just is the an incarnation in a different geographical region and a different uh, time frame, a different yeah, historical period. Yeah, we all period. incarnate and disincarnate. We got to go somewhere, you know, and we don't <laughs> yeah. go, you know, uh, traipsing off and taking on the same name, keeping everything real hunky dory and perfect. You know, it doesn't right. work out like that. We are completely. Right. Uh, in a new name, in a new plot, with a new scenario, in a new land, and we yeah. have to live. Right, exactly. Now, talk about living. You know, I've been, you know, we've been hovering around this whole subject of our future. I'm wondering if one of the the gifts that you have, uh, being the incarnation of the Buddha and of Christ, is a sense of prescience of if not on the presence itself and your ability to transcend time in its linear aspect time as we know it and be able to fathom what is on the linear level the future yep i can do that (laughs) (laughs) happens all the time my my um my daily life is based on a lot of um uh, seeing things before they happen, circumstances that are going to take place. So I'm I'm usually impressed by that sort of experience, and I'm and I move through it very trustingly. I everything's yeah. kind of a surprise in a way because it, it's unveiling itself. Uh, but if I look toward the future and if I teach about the future as I did 20, 30 years ago. It is very much along the line of the way the future is set today because I impress into it uh, the measure of changes that uh, humanity can and will go through that will bring about a change in the future. So I'm basically picking up uh, prophetic influences of a timeline of humanity that is very much attuned to a higher resonating uh, virtuous qualities as symptoms and themselves, you know, as seeing that as the future and seeing, then I see processes of how that externalizes itself inside of society and science and in technology and, in, and saving all the different circumstances that we're in today. Interesting. So on one hand, you are sort of intuitively reaching into the future. And on another hand, through your work, you're very much very involved in helping to shape that future. Yes, all the time, um, mainly through my positive thinking. I have a very strong optimistic process that goes on. It's very disturbing to me to, uh, to, to try and go into a spin of negativity, you know, because I have a strong optimistic process. And most of that is because I have an extreme awareness of the future, and I know that my thoughts, the uh, process of my own uh, individual positive thoughts, are helping to sponsor and create that future, thought form building. Yeah? And yes. so I know and I teach to everyone the importance of our thoughts and the words that we express and the, uh, how that really does take a manifestation into the world. And that more yes. and more that will happen with more people. But with me, that really is my practice. Yes, yes. 
I'm so glad we're talking about this because I wanted to work our way around to the subject because, uh, you know, the whole work of blessing is the um, is the languaging, if you will, of a state of being and, of course, then a future that we all want to embody. And so it sounds like a lot of the work when you do your daily om or your your Sunday blessings with people, you are helping to, using language and image, formulate a kind of level of awareness, of healing, of forgiveness, of love, that then you could say reverberates into the rest of the planet. Could you comment on that? No, that's yeah. exactly true. That that is, uh, I I witness that myself and and yeah. see that as you know my main focus. That that um, because when I do teach and and the things that I teach about, I have a strong tendency to see it very clearly and see yeah. an in an image. So I I like to express in that imagery way, you know, and yeah. and I do feel that. Even in my music, the invocations that I put out, they're all designed as an image and expressed in that way. So when people sit and listen to it, it does go to higher dimensions, higher transcendental impressions that allows for thought form building on a much higher level. Yes, exactly. So from that point of view, you could say that we are shaping our world through shaping our lives with our own language, the words we choose, the images we allow to dwell in our minds or that we invoke to to be in our minds. And this begins to actually take on material form. Is that so? So it all begins with an idea, if you will, which is word and image, and then it manifests accordingly, unless I guess there are too many interruptions. No, no, I agree, yeah. And, I mean, the more a person practices to try and meditate or uh, do uh, stretching or yoga or anything they can in order to create a divine release and, and an experience of their balance and harmony, then that also affects whether or not they can think better, they can think more positively, yeah, respond to things more openly. Yeah? Yeah. You know, so yeah. rather than jumping on people saying you've got to think like this and you've got to do this, you know, it's more about you've got to heal. You've got to vibrationally heal some of the concrete things that are habits and forces that need to be transferred and, and uh uh, you know, reshaped, yeah? But yes. the outcome, yes. uh, the biggest outcome that will make the difference in the world will be thought and speech. Those mm-hmm. are the number one things that will change the entire world. When the world moves toward uh, collective meditation or collective thought form building and realizes the law that comes with harmlessness, that it, it is beyond important, it is... Uh, the one thing that holds the thread between us and our ability to recognize goodness in other people and see the changes in the world and further them to change faster as a miraculous event, as revelation, a science that's revelation. Mm, mm, So beautiful. 
so beautiful. Uh, if I could go back to go forward, um, because you have this developed skill set of sort of peeking into the future, if you will, at least peeking, um, is your sense then of the changes that are happening now, knowing that there is so much negativity in the world, yet there are so many and a multiplying number of forces that are happening for the good in the world that are very much in service to the planet and beyond, that the balance is going to be tipped in favor of our creating a sustainable society in harmony with each other and with the ecosystem itself? Yeah, absolutely, and and more on individual levels rather than large corporate levels and and political mm-hmm. levels. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. I think that because of the internet, because of people's uh, you know uh, standards of wanting to be a better person than themselves and uh, find ways in order to incorporate you know balance in their lives, they learn to create a craft or an ability to share with other people that help to further uh, people to get healthier and better. Yeah. So I believe that a lot of the processes that were limited were limited because we were the under the impression of capitalism and corporate reality. Yeah. But now we are much more open in our soulful direction to be stronger in ourselves and see and make decisions like uh, legalizing hemp and making it possible to uh, worldwide to change an industry that goes from plastic to many other byproducts that just the hemp itself, not the THC hemp, but hemp, CBD, and all the other byproducts that come with it is a life-changing thing for humanity when we actually step into that and make that decision. Same thing with us incorporating solar into every home and all the different things that we are going to do that we are changing individually, and corporation isn't the key that's going to happen. It's individuals passing laws and making decisions that this is the way they want their life to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, do you think, though, over time, well, it's sort of like the body politic and the economy needs to align with these higher vibrations. I mean, you can't have a society that's operating at one level and then just a handful of people that are trying to control everybody at the lower level. It, ultimately, it's, it's, going to be, it's going to break. It's not going to work. So how I imagine that eventually you see that your work, your blessing work, is going to reach into even the um, inequities of politics and of uh, world economics. I think the overshadowing process of the soul is making differences in, in large ways. Like there are islands in, around the world where people back in the 80s were moved by Christ to make changes toward making themselves uh, substantially off of fossil fuel and work more toward an eco-reliability, sustainability. And yes. you know, there are now probably eight or nine islands that are completely sustainable. And, and Barbados is 
taking the lead in relationship to putting, uh, you know, hot and hot water solar all throughout everywhere, and now moving yeah. toward putting solar everywhere. And other places have created wind generators and other forms of of electricity to further the entire island. So these small yes. places can make changes by these um, people that are moved through their soul to incorporate a change, and it's not so big, a big country that they've got to move, but it's a little place. And yes, they can yeah, incorporate yeah. changes into it that 20, 30 years later come to be, now this is something that we as a whole world can look at and say, this works. We could do yes. this where we're at, in our city, our state, and other locations, and it actually will work. Yes. In a sense, what you're saying is it's uh, it's acting as a template or a, a microcosm of what can be for uh, higher, lar- larger scale uh, countries. Uh, it's happening everywhere. Same with fracking. fracking. Fracking happened in the United States, and everybody was burnt. Everybody was lied to and ripped off, and terrible things have happened from it. But yes. the result from that is that now people can get on the Internet and tell the truth and say, this is what happened in my local area. So when they try and do the same thing elsewhere, people are going, no, we're not going to allow this to happen. We won't go any further with it. Yeah? Yes. You know, so yes. a lot of circumstances like that, you know, things that seemingly are bad, are actually things that are small in number in order to show the rest of the world that this isn't what works or this is what works. Yeah, yes. and we're being yes. moved through consciousness to find out both those things, things that don't work and things that do work. Agreed. And at the same time, I mean, what's going on is that even though there's a lot of uh talk about for instance reducing um nuclear armaments, the fact is that through the current administration, there is a trillion-plus-dollar program to refurbish our United States' total nuclear arsenal over the next 10 years. A trillion and a half or so dollars have already been committed to something that the president says he wants to disarm worldwide. So here we know the dangers of nuclear uh, warfare and just the nuclear industry altogether, yet an enormous amount of money, the amount of money that would utterly completely upgrade our country's infrastructure and educational system is being still committed to what could be you know, worldwide destruction. So how do you balance that in to the larger picture? Yeah, that's a tough one. But just imagine, take into the equation the possibility of the externalization process. Yeah, What happens okay. if uh, this externalization process takes place and it becomes critical mass? It becomes a point to where uh, masses of people are now fully aware of the fact that uh, the Muslims are aware that their Imam Mahdi is incarnated. Their Jews are yes. aware that their Messiah is incarnated. Their Christians are yes. aware that their Jesus is back. Their Hindus are mm-hmm. aware that Kalki has incarnated. And their Buddhists are aware that Maitreya is incarnated. All the same person. Now, this is yeah. the whole world. Yeah? The whole world. True. Yeah? 
And yeah. if such an externalization was to take place, that one being would be a world teacher and would yes. be able to help move and change things on a political level where if we look at who's going to be president, the next one coming up, I mean, mm -hmm. I, I don't give any hope to the process of the outcome of humanity. Yeah, And mm -hmm. if we look at politicians or in this country or these people doing that and this, you know, we don't have a lot of hope. But if we yes. enter into another form where it's the possibility of the hierarchy coming in to further and help to facilitate changes in the world and understand it in ways that can move toward morals and a quicker activity toward yes. things moving forward, yeah, like the U.N. Yes. could do a good job, but what happens if my tree is standing there? Yes. that makes sense? Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah I, uh, I see in that other happening. Words, I, strange enough, collective... I really do see that taking place in the next 10 years. Okay. Within the next 10 years? Yeah, at this least within 10 years. Critically at least, If not a lot right. earlier. Well, yeah, exactly. In other words, at the most. You know, no, I'm very Literally, glad that we're hitting yeah. upon this. Right. Because... First of all, let's just look concretely at the fact that you have your uh, beautiful place with pyramids galore up in Lake County. You have just opened a new Dharma Center in Maui, and you've been invited to do this World Blessing inauguration in the uh, largest pyramid on the planet, you know, with all due respect to Egypt, um, you know, where people will be meditating in Pyramid Valley in India um, in October for what sounds like an extraordinary, literally extraordinary ceremony and event. And with all of that taking place, and God willing, many people will be hearing around the world this interview and all the other wonderful teachings that you've made available on live stream and on and on using the Internet and using the current uh, media platforms, you know, we're going to have a world that's shaking and trembling with another level of consciousness. And it's almost like the hundredth monkey, I imagine. That's what I'm kind of gathering your yep. saying, Buddha Maitreya. And yep. with that occurring, yeah, please, go on. No, no. It's just that there are, uh, there are um, people in Jewish faith who are in the hierarchy in themselves who are very well aware of my incarnation and are following it. Yeah, yes. it's just timing. It's all a matter of timing. Yeah, so yes. whether it be the Hindu masters that are doing the same or the Buddhists that are doing the same, it's all about timing. I've read recently that there's a large group of Tibetan Buddhists that further uh, the relationship of Padmasambhava as uh -huh. his future incarnation as Maitreya the Christ. Yeah, and they've mm. written books on it. And, and uh, you know, it's a real thing you know i haven't done any in any uh research into it but i've found recently that that is yes. something that is beginning to externalize that in yes. tibetan buddhism and in other areas there is this process that people aren't aware of that is going to begin a more open process yes yes i see so in short you feel that uh the work you're doing and the work that's taking place in many different forms around the world, um, is that within the next 10 years, if not, you know, much sooner, 
going to shift the consciousness in such a way that love is really going to be the energy that we are dwelling in, compassion, forgiveness, self-forgiveness, and with the increase of these virtues and, uh, you know, a fundamental shift in integrity, uh, that we're really going to be able to steer the Titanic away from the iceberg and we'll be able to create um, kind of really the, the Shambhala that we all feel is real in our hearts and that we have the, the vision of in our, you know, say our third eye. You know, it's really sort of been planted there genetically, if you will. Yeah, it's a matter of people having the um, opportunity to come across and come directly in contact with the Christ. And that's what externalization means. You know, yeah. so in, in, in this process, this is the externalization process. So this is the process in which people will be given the opportunity. So that opportunity is an awakening inside themselves. It's, it's kind of like a growing process. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes. but this is the... The uh, this externalization is in a very quick momentum right now, and there's a lot yes. of uh, energetic uh, past that was prepared and set up that's now coming into fruition. So I see a lot more of uh, the healing process. Imagine that you know I'm 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 able to get on internet TV and maybe have a, a number of people that I can communicate with. But once externalization takes place, we're talking millions of people that are sitting there listening to the person they, they believe and feel is Jesus or people yeah. who believe and feel this is my Buddha Maitreya. Yeah? And yeah. all of them uh, getting all their, what they wanted, all their previous lives and in this life, all of their faith is being fulfilled in those moments. So that's going to mm. increase an enormous amount of healing on the planet un, un, has never been experienced before. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm... <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's, you're, you're in this position of watching both the, the flood of energy of, that is on the, the upsetting side, you know. I mean, we watch what's going on with these elections and we know the fraud and we know the corruption and it, it hits us in our gut how far away we are from justice, if you will, just leave it at that, just a just and fair election process and fair people who are running are very, very few who are really looking out for the public good for to be in service to humanity. And the others are so clearly self-serving. And it, it just wrenches the gut in us all to see and behold what we do. And to maintain the higher mind and the higher heart, if you will, that says this too will pass. You know, we're moving towards something much bigger and deeper and richer as a humanity. And stay the course. We'll get there. That's what I hear you saying. That's true, yeah, and it's really tough because there's really very little. As this energy, the um, the amount of negative spin keeps moving, and it literally reduces 
the vibration of our opportunity, like the people who are yes. running for president right now, uh, everybody running against Trump dropped out, you know, so there's only just two people that have yes. no chance, you know, and, uh, and, you know, it's a joke. The whole thing is a joke. And then you go to other yes. countries. Philippines, you know, you see the same thing. The guy that's running for president there, give me a break. You know, exactly. uh, every single place that's going yep. on is uh, it's the last externalization of the lowering of vibration, showing people that they have very little, if any, control over the outcome of the circumstances because the opportunity is so bad. The energy mm -hmm. that's there creating the opportunity is perfectly representative of that energy. Yes, 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 yeah? yes. You know, but for me, that's perfectly fine because that's a symptom, and that's the final purging uh, for humanity. Yes. They need to have this stuff released so that they can get strength in themselves and stand up and not depend on outside forces and individuals but have some discernment discrimination and have an active part to play in the relationship so that in the next 10 years we will have people who are really qualified to be president and congressmen and all the different uh, parts we have to play in society. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that's very heartening, Budimitra, very heartening, and I'm very glad to hear that that's your position on this your prognosis if you will and uh not only saying it but being a powerful world manifester that you are uh you're going to help bring shape events such that that will actually come to pass you know there are many people that are in your camp and many people who don't know you who are working through their own guidance toward that kind of positive outcome uh, in deep service to humanity and beyond even all sentient beings, human and non-human alike. And uh, it's it's heartening to know that there is, well, it's, you could say, the, the larger Sangha. You know, it's the larger community of people who are simply internally inspired to do good and to bring forth the kind of transformation we all want to see. So uh, I can't help but want to ask you one uh, further question here, because I know our time has run um, run out in some form of speaking. Uh, and that is, you know, we, of course, all use, most of us use the word God. And if we don't use the word God, we will use the phrase the divine. Uh, we're indicating something far beyond our ordinary ken of understanding. From your point of view, if this is fair to ask you, how would you like us to understand this, what we refer to as God? Well, God's real. God's, God's an actual real reality. And, and in the reality, as people look at physical reality, they, they think of God in terms that they could best identify with it, interpret it. Yeah? Yes. But... In God's reality, God manifested within our system of experience the manifestation of God's incarnation, and that's called the avatar. Yeah, so mm -hmm. it's also known as the sun, yeah, the direct manifestation. It could be Adam, could be Jesus, could be Buddha, yes. 
Yeah, but they're, yeah. they are the avataric incarnation of God. Yeah, so yes. when people align to God, they're actually aligning to the, all the lineages of the presence of God that has been on earth in order to create a moral evolutionary process within humanity by God taking human form getting to know the situation and see it as it really is, feeling it as it really is, taking the senses and evolving them forward. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's really the purpose of the incarnation of the avatar is to be representative of God's power, God's evolutionary power. Yeah. And so it literally is a, um, a source of communion that is different when people say i want to uh, pray to god or align to god they're when they do it if they get a connection they literally come across god they don't just come across a piece of light or uh ha- feeling happy they actually have uh you know the divine reality of a presence of a being that is there as an externalized presence and it it actually is part of our divine reality is to have that revealed to us as a normal experience of life, not so much as uh, you know being constantly veiled and and stuck in so much negativity to where uh, if something divine was to happen we wouldn't be able to witness it. But what about if God was present then? Wouldn't that be easier to witness God itself, the energy of God itself? Yeah. So yes. that's the purpose of the incarnation of the avatar, is to help people better understand the definition of God and the impression of God as love. Yeah? So there are yeah. symptoms and things like that, and that's the purpose of the avatar is to give teachings about the path to love and what those mm-hmm. symptoms are. That helps people better understand and incorporate change. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Beautifully put. I really appreciate that. So, what one is when one is praying, uh, one is praying to, would you say, a presence that is every bit as much inside them and as part of them as it is outside them? Yeah, it's fully inclusive. And like in in when we take the name Jesus, you know, we are aligning to the relationship of the the reality of the avatar Jesus as an ascended being that holds a relationship of uh, a power beyond life itself and death. Yeah, so there's resurrection that's involved in that, and that's not something that humanity has experienced as a personal experience, but through Christ. Humanity has experienced resurrection and the experience of uh, going to heaven and coming back. You know, that, that energetic principle is on the earth because of Christ, that experience. Mm. That's part of the teaching. Interesting. Yeah? So Interesting. one of the processes that humanity goes through in their process of life is to, to awaken their energetic relationship of the heart. And it's yes. through the energy of the avatar, whether it be the Buddha or Jesus or any of them, when a person aligns like in a name, even if they align to a geometric form like a Metatron's cube, 
that in reality is a, a geometric form that's named in the name of the incarnation of the avatar, Metatron. So when we say the word Metatron, we're actually saying one of the many names of Jesus Christ that goes all the way to God. That's the closest direct emanation off of God, which is Metatron, the archangel Metatron. And that's actually the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Interesting. Isn't it? So when we use these particular words, the many names of God, which could also be of Jesus Christ, we are invoking the energy and the intelligence of that quality, if you will, of that virtue. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, and and like when I... um, when I give teachings, I do a lot of my teachings through geometric forms. Instead of doing a lot of yes. talking, I have people receive the form or find themselves attracted to the form. And in that way, there's a telepathic rapport between them and Metatron. And a blessing mm. comes into their beingness that allows them to better themselves in their thought form building ability. Because that's one of the mm. keys to Metatron is the ability to uh, bring about the tree of life. You know the creation of life itself. Yeah. Yes. So Metatron is the uh, the manifester of the understanding and the collective consciousness that comes with the tree of life. So when we focus on anything divine, everything that comes with the actions of divinity, that goes into the tree of life. And so when we focus on Metatron or see the geometric form, we're actually attuning to the vibration that comes with the tree of life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're being fed, and the the physical structure in the form of a geometric shape, um, you could say, aids and abets that process of the Metatronic energy being um, experienced. Metatron himself. Yeah, Metatron, Metatron himself. himself. It, it aids humanity in, because we have such a strong, long-term relationship of not having a good relationship with the Avatar. That in divinity, many uh, things like Metatron, Metatronics, the geometric forms, dodecahedron, icosahedron, all of that is part of divine language that goes, that takes us to Metatron. Oh, okay. So So we're uh, actually coming in contact with the word Metatron, which is probably one of the most divine things we could do. Yes, I see. So because the avatar has been, in a sense, misused, as in Jesus, um, severely, uh, this is almost a kind of an end run. It's a uh, an indirect way to access the highest level without interference. Yeah. yeah, because Jesus is an incarnation of Metatron. Adam was an incarnation of Metatron. So in reality, that was Metatron. Jesus was Metatron. And the life of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, the emanation of Jesus, the actions of Jesus, even living near the pyramid, all the things that are part of Jesus are part of the influence that Metatron gives to the earth, which is to save humanity, shift humanity into harmlessness, and bring about the law of love. Ah, got it, got it. He's the will consciousness of will and consciousness of humanity. 
So how then, how close then do the New Testament and the Gospels relate to the actual teachings of Christ from your point of view? Well, I don't spend a lot of time reading them in order to find the parallels, but is from what <laughs> I have read and everything, it, 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 it aligns very much, especially the words of Christ, that, that they align very much. And even the relationships of what happened in the Old Testament, you know, it aligns to how to the evolution of humanity and God's presence on earth and what little that is, but the 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 uh, lack of impression can create an enormous reaction, you know, because when it does come, it's, it's uh, energetically such a big shift. Yeah, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Such a big separation like with Noah or all those influences where these people literally are given the blessing by God, you know, so they're not exactly going to get a lot of cooperation. Yeah? Yes. So the influence that comes with Jesus is the same thing. Jesus's life was in, was a part of the interaction with humanity of trying to bring about through a law of hate inside of society the law of love. You know, so to do that people would think that he would have to do sacrifice and all these different things, but in reality it was life. It was just him living life till the end of life. Mhm. Mhm. It, but, you know, his life, of course, was so fraught with tension and conflict because he was sort of like a salmon swimming upstream. I mean, you know, he was living in the time of such orthodoxy, if you will, and, you know, the whole idea of, the, you know, the the money changers in the temple. So the, the disparity between... Um, holy living and um, corruption on the material level was at a height during that period of time. And, of course, we see the same thing going on right now. Um, So, you know, your life also, you know, is you're struggling with some of the most difficult aspects of all humanity. I mean, is there a parallel here? Always. To me, it, it just leaps one point to the next. Yes. So both are directly interconnected. And there's a movie out of uh, Jesus as a Young Boy that came out recently. It's very good. I think he was like 12 years old or something like that. And it, it yeah. shows his personal process in life, his view of uh, what goes on and how everything he would say or do was persecuted. Yeah, and it's mainly because uh, the devil was present, but no one saw him. And whenever mm. Jesus did something, the devil would, like, say things in order to get people to go against Jesus, yeah, rather than seeing it as a positive thing. You know, so they, there was always this process going on that it was invisible to anybody else. But that's yeah. the way he saw the world, that people did not understand, and they need to be forgiven because – there's something behind the scene that's involved in this that Jesus yes. is working on that people are not aware of. Yes. Yes, I understand. Sure. He was, you could say, um, struggling and wrestling with demons 
on multidimensional levels that ordinary human beings had no clue about, yet were the beneficiary of because of his struggles. Yeah, and whenever a healing or a change that took place to the benefit of God, it was always an exorcism. Yes, yes, yes. Do you feel that it is time to leave behind the cloak of a lot of the religious effects uh, that we see in the institutions of Christianity, of Judaism, of Islam, for that matter, where so much of the institutional uh, institutionalization of thought forms, high as they may originally have been, are causing so much hatred and so much violence and conflict between people? Or do you think that it is perfectly fine that we continue on with the Old Testamental and, you know, uh, Quranic ways into the present? Or is there a way of transcending some of those old beliefs and getting on with just relating to spirit, relating to God, as you were so beautifully putting it before, directly, without needing the uh, institution of the religion. Yeah, I think the process of externalization is the process of awakening the heart and uh, pretty much putting the um, solar plex, the the, uh, astral body, which is much more fanatical uh, in its nature, uh, to put it toward its right relationship toward the heart and allow it to let go and see things uh, in itself and people around it as the church, as the divinity, as the, the working out of a plan. And that they start having dreams or impressions inside themselves of what they think they should be doing or what other people might do, you know, but no controlling process, no judgment, mm-hmm. just some awakening process in it. And that becomes yeah. fellowship. It becomes an yes. awakening inside of humanity that allows people to see and serve. You know, people are awakened to be a part of that uh, bigger picture. And as each person is awakened, they all play a part of healing the society or the world that we're in. We all look around and see other people doing service that we wish was done, we wish could happen in our local area. And all of a sudden, uh, within a year or so, it starts manifesting. And that's Mm -hmm. mainly because of the awakening process of the soul. Beautiful, beautiful. That really does answer a lot of what I was querying, and I really appreciate it. Uh, We are coming to our closing minutes. I just want to give you an opportunity to, you've shared so much, for which I'm I'm so grateful. I want to just ask if there's any other area that you would like to share with our audience before we conclude today. And, of course, I would love to invite you back on again in future. But for today, I know that you are doing so much work on so many different planes that whatever you would like to last impart to our audience would be so appreciated. 
Well, I'm I'm doing meditations every Sunday and uh, make it available to the world. Yeah, anybody who wants to uh, participate, it's done live uh, on live stream and. Uh, just go online to our website or, or email us or call us, and we can set it up so that you could watch it. And so that's every Sunday. And then I'm beginning a process of creating um, a teaching forum that I'll be doing also on live stream that will go out on a daily basis and be available for people to uh, be a part of that. And that will include a lot of my uh, uh, audio teachings that I did are going to be turned into like a video teaching that will illustrate what it is I'm invoking in the process of the meditation to help uh, people better understand the teachings that I'm giving out. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, beautiful. And the website, is it ShambhalaTools.com? Yes, ShambhalaHealingTools.com. Healing Tools, very good, beautiful, good. So I want everybody to get that Shambhala Healing Tools dot com. Okay, that's great. That's us. Well, I just want to thank you so much again, Buddha Maitreya, for being a guest today on A Better World. I so appreciate the the depth of your heart and your intelligence and the way you share with our with our planet. It's of, of great service. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So we'll continue this dialogue again relatively soon. I'd so appreciate it. All right. Okay. Bye-bye now. Buddha Maitreya, as you heard for the past two almost hours of dialogue with this uh, being, it's extraordinary to simply, as I said earlier, contemplate his current uh, incarnation and who he was on the linear level of time. And it's uh, in our presence in the world now. Uh, In a prior interview, I remember mentioning, uh, I quoted uh, Trungpa Rinpoche, a famous, very well-known teacher from Tibet, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, and who said, the next Buddha is going to be showing up in as an insurance salesman from New Jersey. And that was just so funny and stunning for so many people to hear. And it wasn't that he meant that literally, but what he was saying is, give up your ordinary thinking about what's what and who is who, because as I always say, man plans and God laughs, you know, there is an intelligence at work that's far beyond the ken of our ordinary thinking mind, our analytical mind that wants to understand always why. And don't get me wrong, I love the question why, and I think it's a very healthy one to ask. But sometimes, in fact, perhaps even oftentimes, there is a way that the quantum field behind the scenes is operating that none of us understand. And so Trungpa Rinpoche's comment that basically you don't know what form the next Buddha or for that matter the next Jesus the Christ is going to take. In fact, 
what is apparent now is that Trungpa wasn't altogether wrong. It wasn't New Jersey, but it looked like it was the Pacific Northwest, American indeed. And the story is a strong one that Buddha Maitreya was sharing with us. And, you know, it's funny because the Buddha, as with Jesus, spoke their local languages, probably with their local dialect and with all of the local color of the customs of their day and made jokes in that time period in their language, in their custom, and uh, various nuances and idioms and the like, just as this Buddha Maitreya does as well. And why should we be surprised? That's the way it is. This is human life, and human life is itself divine. So why such the surprise? And I'm also talking to myself because I've had to go through, and I still am to some extent going through the process of um, the difference between the beliefs and the reality. We all deal with that, and uh, that shows up in a conversation, in a dialogue such as today. And uh, it's way more interesting, ultimately, to simply get down to business and appreciate the uh, miraculous opportunity that we have to meet up with someone such as, in particular, Buddha Maitreya, the Christ, and absorb what we can about this and accept the premise that the many Tibetan lamas and tukus of the traditions for hundreds of thousands of years, really, have recognized him, that two Tibetan monks or a few came to his house in the Pacific Northwest and knocked at his door when he was at the tender age of nine, seeking him out because they picked up on telepathically where he was and who he was, and just because they were uh, not satisfied with being able to take him at that time out of his home and to Nepal, nonetheless, they recognized him and they came across a very big ocean at no small expense long ago in order to bring him forward. What was that, in 19, you know, he was born in 51 and he was nine years old. There you have it. You know, Tibet was a very small country back then and very materially poor. So think of that effort that they went through then. And it is documented in the film, The Little Buddha. And uh, something I would suggest that you all see if you haven't already. It's very, very compelling. And now that you've heard this interview, even more so. So I want to just thank you all for joining me here today and Buddha Maitreya. And certainly go visit his website, ShambhalaHealingTools.com. That's S-H-A-M-B-H-A-L-A, HealingTools.com. And uh, poke around there, review what it is and see what is relevant for yourselves. And also look up <clears throat> at his website, What's Happening in India in October. It sounds like an awesomely powerful event 
That's going to be World Awakening. So, again, thank you, and make sure, of course, to visit us at www.abetterworld.tv, abetterworld.net, or .tv, and sign up for our free newsletter. And for the counseling and coaching that I do, you can go to www.mitchellrabin.com, spiritually oriented coach and therapist, and uh, you're most welcome to engage me through that website. And remember that we too are a foundation, a nonprofit, and so appreciate donations. It keeps us on the air. It sustains us. So all donations and contributions are investments in a better world, quite honestly. And uh, we so, so appreciate it. So thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you all. Oh, last, I want to just invite you all to send a direct email to me with your comments and your uh, suggestions. We so appreciate hearing from you about how you enjoy the various interviews, especially this one. Thanks again, and see you next week. Thank you.